So apparently, South Carolina has the toughest schedule in all of college football in 2023. But is it really as tough as it looks? Our Locked On Gamecocks, your daily podcast on the South Carolina Gamecocks. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Gamecock Nation, and welcome back to the Locked On Gamecocks podcast, your show for the latest headlines and potential storylines on South Carolina Gamecock athletics. I'm Andrew Lyon, the host of this podcast, and also the lead staff writer for Gamecocks Digest over on SI.com. Thank you for making Locked On Gamecocks your first listen here today. We are free and available on YouTube and also wherever you get your audio podcasts daily. So last season, one of the biggest notions that we heard about the South Carolina Gamecocks, one that was repeated throughout the months preceding this past fall, was that South Carolina had a really tough schedule. And I think that everybody remembers how all that went. Because of South Carolina's tough schedule, everyone used that as fair reason to basically say that South Carolina could maybe win seven games, but could actually end up staying at six games and there was even a couple of people, not many, but a couple, who actually thought that it could make South Carolina lose more games last season than they did in Shane Beamer's first season in 2021. Well, here's the thing. South Carolina's schedule apparently is the toughest in all college football in 2023. And on paper, they might have the toughest schedule, but not each of these games are created equal on their schedule in terms of the actual season outcomes that could take place, and more importantly, the schedule dynamics involved with each individual game. And we'll dive into that a little bit more in just a couple minutes. But to let y'all know why South Carolina apparently has the toughest schedule in college football, college football pundit Phil Steele, he went back and looked at all of the records for teams in 2022 that play FBS Division I football, and he, using the schedule for this season for each of the 131 FBS teams, combined the records of all their opponents from this past year. And when he went through all of the numbers, South Carolina had the toughest schedule because their opponent's collective win-loss record from last season is 103-53, and 53, which is good for a winning percentage of 66%. As of right now, the Gamecocks are going to face four ranked teams heading into this next season. They'll face eight teams that finished with a winning record this past year, and they'll face nine teams on the schedule that went to a bowl game this past season as well. And some of South Carolina's 2023 opponents also happen to rank pretty highly on this list. Missouri ranks 5th. Florida is tied for 6th. Kentucky is 11th. Tennessee is 16th. Texas A&M is 22nd. North Carolina 26th. And Mississippi State is tied for 27th. So based on all these numbers that I just threw out, it's completely fair to say that this is an extremely daunting challenge for Shane Beamer and South Carolina's football program this upcoming season. But at the same time, there's some other things that we can also acknowledge. Firstly, last year's teams 
were last year's teams. Every team this season, including South Carolina, is going to be different to a certain capacity for better or for worse. Now, this is a concept that is admittedly derived from what Josh Payton only talks about on his show, Late Kick, because you have to ensure that just because a team has done really bad or really good the last few seasons, you do not let those performances cloud your overall judgment on what these teams could end up doing this upcoming season. But because we're all creatures of habit, we all tend to use this recency bias from last season's results to formulate our opinion on what teams are going to do this upcoming season. We do this with every single team. But for South Carolina, again, we can assume that some of their opponents are going to trek up and some are going to plummet downwards. We could assume that based on a lot of averages, that not all of these teams are going to live up to what they did this past season, while some will exceed what they did. Another point with South Carolina's daunting schedule, not every game is created equal within the context of both the numbers and one particular team's schedule. And that's where we get into this thing called schedule dynamic. And a schedule dynamic is basically where you have two teams in one particular matchup. And you look specifically at who these teams are playing before and in some cases after the original game to see how much those games could impact said original game. So we're going to go over a couple of examples real quick for South Carolina. Let's start with their game against Mississippi State in week four. This game I can tell you right now, is going to be called an automatic trap game for South Carolina because this game is slotted after a road game at Georgia and before another road game as the Gamecocks will head to Tennessee after they game against the Bulldogs of Mississippi State. But Mississippi State plays LSU at home the week prior to their road game at South Carolina and they follow up their matchup with South Carolina with a home game Versus the Alabama Crimson Tide. So, when you look at Mississippi State's circumstances, both before and after their game against South Carolina, the schedule dynamic ends up being about dead even here. Here's another example. South Carolina plays Missouri in Week 9 on the road. For South Carolina, this game comes after a bye week in Week 7 and a home game against Florida in Week 8. Eight. So not a really bad stretch for the two weeks prior to this contest. Missouri, on the other hand, plays LSU in Week 7 and then goes on the road to play at Kentucky before their matchup with the Gamecocks. And here's the other thing. They won't have their bye week until the week after they face South Carolina. So when you take all those circumstances into account, while Missouri could end up being maybe a surprise team in the Eastern Division in 2023, the schedule dynamic clearly favors South Carolina in this instance. And then one more example. South Carolina plays Kentucky in Week 12. For South Carolina, they play Vanderbilt the week prior and Clemson at home the following week. So once again, people are going to say that the Kentucky game is going to be a trap game. I've admittedly mentioned this before on the show. And in a way, it is going to be because of the fact it's slotted right before rivalry week for South Carolina. But for Kentucky, they don't get out of this easily either because they play Alabama in Week 11 at home and then they have to play their arch rivals in the Louisville Cardinals on the road in Week 13. 
So once again, when you take the entirety of the situation for both teams into account, South Carolina owns the schedule dynamic advantage in this matchup. Now, obviously, having the schedule dynamic advantage does not automatically mean that a team is going to win because you have to account for talent. You have to account for injuries. You have to account for the coaching staff that you're facing, the schematic matchup. There's a bunch of other factors involved here. But when we were talking about just purely the schedule, some people make multiple grave mistakes in terms of predicting multiple games or an entire season based on just one team's schedule. And that's why South Carolina's schedule although it looks, and admittedly is, going to be supremely difficult, it might not play out to be as difficult when taking all these other factors for all these other teams into consideration. So when people throw out that South Carolina has the toughest schedule in college football this season, South Carolina should not run away from that because in a lot of cases, especially in terms of Phil Steele's metrics here, which is completely fair in terms of collective win-loss records from last season, the Gamecocks do have a really tough schedule. But again, that doesn't automatically mean that you should just pull up South Carolina's schedule if you're a national pundit and just say, okay, win here, loss, loss, loss. That doesn't mean that you should just do that because that's not the way that college football operates. So, Remember that when you're looking at South Carolina's schedule. And if someone tells you that because they have a tough schedule, that they're going to take a step back in 2023. Now, South Carolina, in terms of their football program, while they've got, of course, a really big season coming up this fall, they've got some other important priorities to take care of right now. And one of them is recruiting. And there's been a couple of updates regarding one particular target on the offensive line in Blake Franks. Could he be making a decision very soon? We're going to dive into all that in just a couple moments right here on Locked On Gamecocks. Today's show is brought to you by FanDuel. The midway point of the NBA season is here, and now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Because if you're a new customer, you'll get a no-sweat-first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. All you got to do is download the FanDuel Sportsbook app, which is safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on literally anything from the money line to point scores and maybe something like three-pointers drained in a basketball game. They even let you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same-game parlay. I've got another NBA bet that I like this week, and that is the Phoenix Suns minus one and a half points over the Los Angeles Clippers on Thursday at 8 p.m., I believe, Eastern Standard Time. Due to their recent trade for Kevin Durant, I think that the energy is going to be much higher for the Phoenix Suns. I think that the crowd's going to be in it, and I just feel like that because of all that, they're going to end up pulling away from the Clippers by the end of this game. So don't miss the chance to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Uh 
Welcome back to this Thursday edition of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast, where we cover your South Carolina Gamecocks every single day. Thank you for making Locked On Gamecocks your first listen every day. Make sure you check out our brand new podcast, Locked On College Basketball, where you'll find everything you need to know about college basketball in just one place. Plus, you'll hear from big name experts, insiders, coaches, and players. Locked On College Basketball, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Blake Franks could soon be making a decision, but the specific details of when he could be making that final decision on his future college destination is currently up in the air right now. There's been a couple of back and forth developments in the past 48 hours. Here's how everything has unfolded recently. It was reported by Sports Talk Media Network's Phil Kornblut on Tuesday night that Greenville High School coach Greg Porter had told him that Blake Franks was expected to commit on February the 20th. Blake Franks, however, went on Twitter on Wednesday night and clarified some things, saying, quote, There was a miscommunication. I am not committing on February 20th. When I come up with a date, I will post it on Twitter. Close quote. So, from the sounds of Blake Franks' tweet here, this clearly at least from the way I interpret it, does not mean that Franks isn't committing, period. But more so, it sounds like he's just trying to get the final logistics worked out before he sets a finalized date here. So, this means that it could be any point, probably the next three to four weeks, honestly, when Blake Franks ends up making his eventual decision. So, where is Blake Franks leaning at this time? Well, The South Carolina Gamecocks and Clemson Tigers seem to be the two teams here at the forefront for this recruitment. He has taken six visits to Clemson in this process, and he's taken five to South Carolina. And the Auburn Tigers have also hosted Blake Franks on a couple of different occasions. But again, not enough to where it seems like they're going to be able to really throw their hat in the ring here at the end with the in-state schools. Again, duking it out here for this in-state offensive line prospect. And when Blake Franks visited the Gamecocks on junior day back on January the 21st, he ended up doing an interview with Tiger Nets' Nikki Hood, an article that I came across when I was looking up some stuff to talk about with Blake Franks here. And he had this to say about his visit to South Carolina at that point before he was about to visit the Clemson Tigers for their junior day on January the 28th. Quote, when I went down to South Carolina for junior day, they answered a lot of questions about the engineering program, which is something I want to do. What I really want to know from Tigertown is how family oriented they are. I think that they are very family oriented already. It's just that South Carolina is really family oriented a little bit more than Tigertown. Now, this is something that when you take it to the grand scheme of things, sort of how Clemson's perception has been painted in college football over the past 8, 9, 10 years or so, what is the main thing that you hear about Clemson? You hear about Clemson's culture. You hear about what Dabo Sweeney has spent years and years building up. And mainly the fact that Clemson is just a different type of family culture and environment with their football program, something that you just do not get everywhere else. And the thing is, you know, you got to admit, 
Shane Beamer has a similarity when it comes to Davo Sweeney in the sense that, in the same way, he's very much a people person. He is someone that really seems to emphasize family-oriented environments in his building. He wants the players to be hanging out with each other. He wants the coaches to be bringing their kids and wives to the building. He does not mind having immediate family members hanging out around the building while the coaches are doing their jobs during the day or maybe in the earlier portions of the evening hours because obviously these guys work really hard, long, arduous schedules and Especially with college football these days, these jobs can be quite grueling. And so when you get that kind of environment, you can really sort of see, especially with the player's reaction, just how much of an impact it's having on your program. And for South Carolina, it is having such an impact now to the point where something is taking place right now that probably would not have taken place just, again, five, six, seven years ago, which is in terms of the family atmosphere, South Carolina Based on just Blake Frank's recruitment, does it seem to be matching Clemson? It seems like that they are actually in the process of supplanting Clemson's family culture and being known as maybe the best family-type culture, at least in the Southeast, maybe even the entire country. Which, with the way Shane Beamer and his staff have been recruiting recently, at this rate, they're going to have a pretty solid argument for that come the end of the 2024 recruiting cycle. Now, to get back to the recruitment specifically, in terms of the momentum right now, it seems like that South Carolina holds the edge here. And you've also got to take into account, there's multiple other commits right now that are definitely in Blake Franks' ear, like Cam Pringle, Mazio Bennett, and Dante Reno to a certain extent as well. And here's the other thing. One detail that I did not mention earlier about Blake Frank's clarification tweet from Wednesday night. At the time of this recording for the show, there were 61 comments on Blake Frank's tweet. And of those 61 comments, 58 of them were from South Carolina fans. And one of them included Maceo Bennett saying, only one fan base in the comment section obviously referring to the amount of love that he was getting from Gamecock fans and also people who were being quite understanding of his whole situation saying, look, take all the time you need, big fella. We're going to be waiting here whenever you are ready to make your final call. So with everything that I just went over in the past couple minutes, again, this is an in-state battle and obviously Clemson has recruited at a very high level for several years. So you never know if they might be able to pull off you know, maybe one final visit and make one big final push at the final moments. But this seems like that Blake Franks is South Carolina's to lose at this moment in time. And could you imagine South Carolina's already gotten Cam Pringle in the fold? And again, that commitment is very solid. It is just about ironclad. The way that he's been acting on social media and everything since he committed. You add Blake Franks to the fold, and then you got Josiah Thompson at a pipeline high school for South Carolina in Dillon High School, and you land him, let's say, at the very latest by the end of June. South Carolina will have swept the state in terms of the top offensive line prospects. And they would have gotten one out of Clemson's backyard in Greenville, another one at a pipeline school, again, continuing the tradition of getting guys from Dillon High School, and another one in the low country who was a national-level prospect. Trust me, Clemson wanted all of these guys. Josiah Thompson, 
Again, it seems like he's been South Carolina's to lose for a long time now. But Blake Franks and Cam Pringle, Clemson had their fair shots here, especially. And if South Carolina gets both of those guys at the end of this process, that says a lot about how things are changing in terms of recruiting in this state and recruiting maybe as a whole between Clemson and South Carolina. All right, now to cap off today's show of the Lockdown Gamecocks podcast, I want to continue our preview for South Carolina's baseball team who, in just one day, will be taking the field for their first game of the season against UMass Lowell. Now, for today's preview, we're going to talk about the infield and projecting which guys we think are going to start here. So I'm going to start off with third base. A position battle that apparently has been back and forth between multiple guys, including Tomaj LaCroix, Michael Braswell, and a couple of other players as well. Some guys that are sort of some utility players that could bounce around to different spots in the infield and maybe just on the entire field in general, from what I have heard. But with third base, I'm going to project right now that I think Talmaj LaCroix is going to start here. LaCroix played catcher and DH last season, along with some third base sprinkled in there, and he wound up slashing 253, 381, and 305 in 95 at-bats. Not bad for a true freshman that, again, got a lot of at-bats in SEC play, and unlike most freshmen, LaCroix did not completely hit a freshman wall. So there's potential here with this player for South Carolina. LaCroix also was a pretty solid fielder behind the backstop as well. He had a 98% fielding percentage and recorded just two errors and 99 total fielding chances. Now, admittedly, one sort of downside to him playing catcher last year is LaCroix might not have had the strongest arm for the catcher position this past year because There was 15 stolen base attempts against LaCroix. He never caught a base runner stealing this past spring. So I think that that might be part of the reason why you are seeing him brought up a lot more with third base. Because the one thing is this. LaCroix's reactionary skills are extremely good. And that's, again, evidenced by the fielding percentage from the fielding chances that he had this past season. And the thing is, if you're going to play one of those corner slots in the infield, you better have really solid reactionary timing in terms of being able to field line drives, really hard ground balls to take a couple bounces. And I think that LaCroix has that potential. And with his experience that he got last season and the assumed progression he made in the offseason, I'm going to put him here as the starter at third base. Let's move on to shortstop. This one's not a difficult one. It's already pretty much been said. Braylon Wimmer is going to be the starter here at shortstop. He has gotten markedly better every single year at South Carolina. He's going to his third season as a starter for this team. So Braylon Wimmer, let's make no mistake, he is going to be the de facto leader, I would say, of this infield. Now, He had nine errors in 217 total chances this past season at second base, which was good for a 95.9% fielding percentage. Obviously, something that Braylon Wimmer would probably like to have a little bit higher heading into this season, especially at a position where if you're not able to field the ball as cleanly, it will really hurt and impact your team in a negative way. But here's the good news. Braylon Wimmer, apparently up to this point, has not had a single error in any of the scrimmages 
back in the fall or during the winter leading into the 2023 baseball season for South Carolina. So that sounds like a pretty good sign in terms of how his transition from second base to shortstop has gone. At the shortstop position, Braylon Wilmer is going to bring, again, solid reactionary skills to the spot, which is something that you need in a position as important as shortstop. And he also can cover a lot of space quickly. So Braylon Wilmer could be the kind of guy that at least, you know, he might not always make the double play or maybe be able to get it from the dirt and throw a guy out at first. But Braylon Wilmer, at the minimum, is going to be a guy that can prevent some runs from being scored, can prevent there being maybe an extra base hit from a speedy runner from the opposing team. And that's something that is quite valuable at that position. So I think that overall, Braylon Wilmer is probably going to be the best fielder in this Gamecock infield this next season, which is probably a big reason why he will be playing shortstop for the Gamecocks. At second base, this one also, if you really follow sort of the newcomers very closely, probably won't be too much of a shock here. But I have Will McGillis, the transfer from Southern Miss starting at second base. He is a fifth-year player who hit 265 with a 937 OPS, along with 16 homers and 51 ribbies this past season at Southern Mississippi. McGillis was also a team captain for the Golden Eagles in 2021 and 2022, and he played at second base his entire junior season, and I would also therefore assume his entire senior season as well. And he was pretty solid at second base in 2022, as out of 219 total fielding chances, Will McGillis only committed six errors, which led to a fielding percentage of 97.3%. So pretty solid numbers all the way around. This is another de facto veteran guy who, again, could be a solid leader for this infield. And I think that the good part about this move is the most important thing between a shortstop and a second baseman is being in sync and being on time with going through your routine plays, depending on sort of the situations on the base pads. And I think that Braylon Wimmer paired up with Will McGillis is going to be huge in terms of that aspect. Again, as individuals, the entire infield might not be able to pull off stuff that maybe the 2011-2012 teams did for South Carolina, but little things like that, again, still matter a lot. And I think that that's something that's very important to consider if Will McGillis likely ends up starting at second base this opening weekend for the Gamecocks. Now, moving on to first base. Again, this one, I think, is another easy one. I think the starter at first base is going to be Gavin Casas. And Casas is a transfer from Vanderbilt University, so this will be his third year in college baseball. And it might have not worked out with the Commodores, but apparently he got a little bit nicked up after his freshman campaign or near the end of his freshman campaign, which sort of held him back a little bit from being able to develop like he would have more than likely in his sophomore season. But Gaffin is going to bring, from what I've heard, a massive power bat to this lineup. And here's the other thing. Gavin is about 6'4", 230 pounds, and with the power bat, you might think that he fits the stereotype of a guy that is being slotted in at first base just to have his bat in the lineup, but he's not going to actually be someone that is going to really help out this infield. But based on the numbers from 2022, I don't think that's going to be the case because in 73 total fielding chances in 2022, Gavin Casas had a perfect fielding percentage. He did not commit a single error in his 73 opportunities. So I think that 
That obviously bodes quite well for South Carolina. Again, first base might not get sort of the accolades that the other infield positions get in terms of the prioritization of fielding skills. But I think that Gavin Casas is going to be a very underrated starter here at this first base slot based on what he has done up to this point in his sporadic college baseball career. And then for the catcher position to end this real quickly, I'm going to go with Cole Messina. Cole Messina is a guy that sporadically played some for South Carolina this past season. And again, kind of like Gavin Casas is known for his power with his bat. But apparently, Cole Messina is a guy that's really taken a step forward during this offseason. He has been noted as a guy that has done quite well in the scrimmages and apparently has been one of the more consistent hitters out there and just been raking the baseball all over the yard. So if Cole Messina could just offer adequate play behind the plate, then I think that, again, this is a potential scenario that could bode quite well for South Carolina. Now, in terms of Colin Burgess and trying to replace him, the thing with Colin Burgess is Burgess was fantastic in terms of not letting the baseball get by him very often. The only knock on Kyle Burgess's game was honestly the fact that he was not able to throw out that many runners on the base pads. With Cole Messina and sort of the frame that he carries and the obvious power that he has with his bat, you would therefore assume that that would also be the case with his arm strength. So hopefully you would maybe see a little bit of an uptick in terms of runners caught stealing if Cole Messina is starting behind home plate for South Carolina this upcoming spring. But with that being said, y'all, that is going to do it for today's show of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. I hope that y'all thoroughly enjoyed today's show as always. What are your thoughts on Phil Steele designating South Carolina as having the toughest schedule in all of college football this next season? And do you think that the schedule dynamic factor gets lost in the fold a lot when people look at schedules like South Carolina's? Also, what do you think about Blake Franks' recruitment? Do you feel confident that the Gamecocks are going to land him whenever he ends up making his final decision? And lastly, who do you think the starting infield is going to be for South Carolina's baseball team this upcoming season? Let me know your thoughts down below in the comments section if you're watching today's show on YouTube. Or you could shoot me a direct message at A-Line underscore SC on Twitter, and I'll try to respond to your message as quickly as I see it. And once again, don't forget to make Locked On College Basketball your second listen or watch now that you have watched or listened to the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. But once again, y'all, that does it for me on today's show. Have a great rest of your Thursday, and I will catch y'all on the next show of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. <laughs>